The series has been the least of these. And what we've covered so far, you can go back in the archives online. We focused on the fact that God elevates everyone and defines those that are the least of these in the scriptures as those he relates with, having experienced many of the same things that these folks have experienced on earth, whether we're talking about the sick or the poor. Certainly Yeshua didn't walk around flaunting a lot of money. A prisoner, he was taken prisoner illegally. The outcast, he was certainly outcast. We talked about how God elevates them, those that were not loved by the community, how he elevates women to a higher status, how he elevates children to a higher status. And last week, we even started to touch on how God elevates the slave and the servant. And I want to pick up with that same theme tonight, the least of these series, but it's going to be the slavery part two. And we've entitled tonight's sermon, Free Will Servants. Free Will Servants. Hallelujah. The theme verse for this whole series has been Matthew 25, 40. And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Notice how he says, brothers and sisters of mine, they're like me. And we serve God through serving others. I want to say thank you to a dear friend, Jason Harris, who was one of the King of Kings interns a few years ago. And Jason was watching online last week, and he had a few questions that I thought were relevant to this series as we kick off. And he said, he said, Pastor Chad, I'm tracking with the series. I love what you're talking about, God's heart to elevate the slave. And we've clearly been able to express how each man and woman was created free because we were given a free will by God. That's the proof that we were created free, free to express our love to God by our own choosing, free to live for God the way we feel in our heart. It was never God's desire that there be slaves. And as a matter of fact, we have this key phrase right off the top tonight. We can look to the age to come to see God's ideal, what remains and what has been done away with. Pastor Ray came up with that phrase in our elders meeting this week. Remember that. If you're not sure whether God blesses or condones something, look to the age to come. If that thing is thrown out, then that's not something God wants us to necessarily be involved with right now. I thought that was a good measuring stick for us. But we do see slavery on earth now. We don't see it in the new heaven and new earth, but we do see it now. But sometimes in the Bible, there's these these passages, and Jason, my friend, was highlighting some of them, that God does not condone or support the idea of slavery. It's not in his ideal, no more than he supports murder and theft, adultery and divorce, even though he also speaks of those in the Bible, even though he puts boundaries around those in the text. But he pointed out in Leviticus 25 that Israel had taken foreign slaves now, this is an allowance, remember, not a command. There's a difference between those two things, things God might allow momentarily versus things he commands. We should also remember that there's a difference in the current situation and its uniqueness versus God's heart and his long-term ideal. In most cases in Israel's history, when there was war, there were war slaves 
It was oftentimes seen as God using the captive as part of the judgment for the country that was conquered. That was certainly true of Israel, right? Israel had disobeyed. Israel was overtaken. Israel was taken slaves as slaves in the exile. So we've seen that tool, not just on other nations. We've seen that tool even used on our own people at times out of his love to get our attention. Numbers chapter 31 also talks about fully destroying the Midianites. But here, it's interesting because the command is to destroy the Midianites, not take them captive. And when the leaders in Israel's army didn't obey, God came after them for not obeying his word. He said, you took some of them as slaves. I didn't say you could do that. So that's not a text where we can look at it and say, well, see, God blessed the taking of slaves. No, he actually didn't bless the taking of slaves. He told them, you did that against my instructions. Later, Judges chapter one, several tribes are even called out by name. Such and such tribe, you disobeyed me with the Midianites. Judgment will come to your house because of that wasn't something God wanted. God's always moving away from slavery, not toward it. Now, let's look at God's perspective. Because we spent most of last week in the introduction tonight talking about God's heart, his ideal. He's moving people away from slavery into freedom. He's not moving people toward slavery. That should be very clear. From the universality of scripture, we're building a pattern, and that's the pattern. But when we get to the New Testament, we have this unusual turn of events. Because all of a sudden, in certain passages, the word slave starts to take on a positive connotation. I found that unusual. We've built up all of the text about God's heart. It's not to enslave people. And then you turn to the New Testament, the word slave is used and all of a sudden it's a positive term. I'll explain what I mean. Now we know that God calls us to be his servants, but we need to distinguish between the word servant and the word slave. Yeshua, Moses, Paul, James, and others, they call themselves servants of God, so that's not a problem. But in Matthew chapter 20, I want you to turn your attention and your devices. Follow with me. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Listen to what this says. It says, Yeshua called them together. He's talking about his disciples. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, unfortunately, many of our Jewish brothers and sisters in the religious and Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox communities, they've missed that part of God's heart, that God came to be a servant first, to serve first, not to be served. If they could get that revelation, then some of the passages of Isaiah start making a lot more sense. Where God 
in the form of Yeshua doesn't necessarily come in the earthly ministry as this conquering king on a horse. He comes as a servant first. But then we come to another passage like this. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Yeshua, the Messiah, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Our second key phrase tonight. The king of creation had the mindset to be a servant first. The king of all creation had the mindset, it says, to be a servant first. Let me explain to you what that means. It's one thing for our Messiah to come in a humble body form to somehow self-impose a limit upon his glory being shown while he's on earth, self-impose some kind of restriction on his power that emanates, self-imposing that for a short time so that we could be around him, so that we could look upon him, so that we could hug him and have relationship with him. But having the mindset of a servant means that's the way he's wired. Having the mindset of love means everything God does is motivated out of love. He doesn't have another motive. Having the mindset of a servant means all information in the universe is filtered through his mindset of a servant first. Doesn't that bring you great comfort tonight? Knowing the one that you serve thinks servant first. Doesn't think servant have to. Doesn't begrudgingly serve, oh man, I gotta serve these people. They so don't deserve this. It's true, we don't. But it's not just that he's making himself because he's such a sweet God. Oh, he's so disciplined that he, he's, he's willing to make himself a servant. No, it's in his nature. It's the very mindset that he thinks through. Love, servant first. Now that's a God I wanna serve. A God who thinks servant first. Now in these passages that we read, I want to point out a couple of words because when I read to you from Matthew 20, you heard me say both become a servant and become a slave. And in the Greek, it's important to distinguish between the two. The servant, diakonos, we're going to get some of the root of the word deacon, those who choose to serve. But when the word slave is used, doulos, it's that of somebody who is bound, a bond servant. That's something Paul calls himself in Romans chapter one, verse one. He says, Paul, a bond servant, a slave, doulos, a slave of the Messiah, Yeshua, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So it wasn't just as some suppose that every time in the New Testament, when these words are chosen, it's just the word servant. No, it's not. It's not just the word servant. Sometimes it's even the word slave. And it's intentional because Yeshua used both of them at the same time in the same sentence and he used them separately. 
Now, I want to talk about the difference between these two because there is a distinction. But I also want to point out that all of a sudden, the word slave has a positive connotation in the New Testament, different than we had read previously. So what is changing in this usage? Well, first of all, let's say a couple of things I think you already know. I showed you the difference in the Greek between servant and slave, diakonos and doulos. But God created us with a free will. He makes it very clear that he does not support the idea of having people become slaves against their will. I want to prove that to you in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. I showed it to you last week. The Bible says, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. You cannot kidnap somebody and take them against their will to make them a slave. You cannot do that in the word of God. And that becomes a definitive scripture that helps us to understand the, the, the broader pattern of God's heart that every man might be free. But did you know in the Bible some people choose to be servants? Did you know in the Bible some people choose to be slaves? You say that's preposterous. No one would ever choose to be a slave. Well, the key thing that we need to point out when making a statement like that is this. Most of the slavery in the Bible that's being mentioned here is not equatable to the slavery that we know of in recent history. The usages of these words are quite different. You cannot just superimpose them on one another. Taking someone against their will, the slave trade of the modern world that we know of, even those today in kidnapping and the sex slave operations and all of these things, the trafficking. This is, this is not what the Bible is talking about. These are not the, the way these words are being used. These are no, it's not wise to do an equal comparison like they're the same thing just because the word is the same. I think what we all need to understand is that, that language grows. Language tends to change a little bit. Its connotation, its context, its culture changes over time. And in the Bible, some people chose to be servants. Some people chose to be slaves. That sounds ridiculous today, but it's true. Because of the way the word was used back then is very different than the way the word is used today. Why would somebody choose this? Well, first of all, remember that God had given strict instructions on how we were to treat slave, slaves, those enslaved and slavery in general. God gave us strict instructions on how we were to treat slaves. And the treatment of slaves in Israel was so much better than the treatment of slaves anywhere else in the world, it actually stood out. Did God love it that his people were involved in it? No, he didn't love it. And yet even in that context, God was elevating, elevating, elevate people. Even the least of these, elevate the slaves and the servants. God made it clear that they were to be treated well and to be cared for. How about the passage like this in Exodus chapter 21, verse five and six? It says, 
But if the servant or the slave declares, I love my master. You see, if you, if you didn't understand that the connotation was different, there's your clue. I love my master. I love my master and my wife and children do not want to go free. Okay, now you're starting to get the picture. Slavery in Israel wasn't the same as it is in this modern edition. I love my master and my wife and my children do not want to go free. Then his master must take him before the judge. He shall take him to the door, to the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be a servant for life. Some people voluntarily became servants and slaves for life because why? Because they were being treated so well. They would make statements like, I love my master. Not the same connotation we get in the modern age. This voluntary commitment, notice the love. Words like love and commitment are there. You see, because this is how we are encouraged to relate to Yeshua as his slaves, as his servants. Not necessarily because we have to, but because at some point we had enough relationship with Yeshua that we said, I love my master. My wife and my kids, we don't want to go free. We don't want to be distant from our master. He's so good to us. Why would we ever want to go somewhere else? And the world outside wouldn't understand that kind of relationship. An unbeliever doesn't understand when you say, I voluntarily became a slave to my Messiah. Say, I don't understand what that's like. Don't you want to be free? Listen, there's nothing more free than being a slave to Yeshua. Because I love my master. He's so good to me. You know, the Bible also describes times where people were desperate. And in some certain circumstances, the opportunity to work for somebody else gave them a purpose. They understood that they would be treated well in Israel. And sometimes they chose this for their life. As a matter of fact, if you became poor in Israel or if you were out of work for a prolonged period of time, this relationship could serve in some situations as a temporary solution for you. For instance, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, notice we're still not allowed to go kidnap somebody against their will. That's not how it works. But again, for like the third example in a row, if they voluntarily choose to sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves, it says. They are to be treated as hired workers and temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. You say, why, why would they be released at the year of Jubilee? Because the reason they were working was to pay off a debt. But in Jubilee, the debt is forgiven so they don't have to pay off that debt anymore so they don't need to work for you anymore. You see, God's always moving toward freedom. His laws are always pushing us toward freedom. And yes, sometimes he has to work in the context and the consequences of sin on the earth. But even within those con consequences of sin, he constantly makes laws moving us toward freedom. 
Seventh year Sabbath, get them free. 50th year Jubilee, release them, forgive their debts. Don't make them do this anymore if they don't want to. And notice they can leave, check this out friends, check it out, they can leave at any time. Very different than the slavery of this age. And those that were treated so well, sometimes they didn't even wanna leave. It's important that we understand the difference between these two things so that we don't get caught up and deceived in some of the arguments of the modern world. Sometimes it's like trying to have a discussion, but you're actually talking about two different topics. You gotta make sure you're talking about the same topic. Go to these texts, it will help you. Becoming a servant on someone's farm or in their house was very similar to how things work today when you're a hired worker. You go to the person and you say, I need to work for you. I'm desperate. I'm out of food. I'm poor. I have nowhere else to go. Will you please hire me? And the the unique thing about the response of that is you might even look at a servant owner or a slave owner in this context and he might say to you, I was doing this guy a favor. That's how different it is. The slave owner's actually doing people a favor sometimes by saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take you on. I'll hire you. I'll pay you. I'll bless you. And when you leave, I'll release you whenever you're ready. Your debts will be forgiven. And you're going to leave my house more wealthy than when you came. Because that's how the God of Israel elevates people. And the slave owners in this context were actually doing people a favor. Yes, I will take you on. Come on, you can work on my my farm, my, my house, my crew, my team. Ultimately trying to get them to freedom, but there was a point that they were helpful. Paying back debt that needed to be forgiven. Now you might say, well, what does the New Testament have to say about this? You've, you've read a few things from the Old Testament, but what does the New Testament say about slavery? How does the Bible address it? Well, let me go to Ephesians chapter 6. A few verses here, verse five through eight. It says, slaves, so it's being addressed to slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey the Messiah. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is upon you, but as slaves of Yeshua. There's the word again. Doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So we know for sure there was slavery in the time of the New Testament. We also know a slave with a good heart to serve is told he will receive a reward from God. So God is looking out for the slave. He's giving them a task. He's giving them purpose. He's releasing rewards upon them. Not that he loves the fact that they're slaves, but he's still trying to elevate them. He still turns his ear and his heart toward them. Remember, please, that when Paul is addressing situations like this, he's addressing a worldwide audience. And by this time, where other cultures are still very active in slavery, Paul is not addressing the practice of slavery at all. 
He's, he's not addressing the moral basis of slavery. He's trying to give instructions to the slaves on how to conduct themselves to be a good witness for Yeshua. He's not talking about we support slavery. That's not even what the context is. It's not a moral argument. He's simply saying, slaves, listen, you have a tall calling from God. There are still people you can reach with the gospel by showing the love of Messiah in his servant's heart. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 shows us another angle in the New Testament. It says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters, you say, well, did, did believers own slaves? There it is. The Bible's very clear. There it was. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and their masters are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This is like a mutual blessing thing going on here. Very different, very different from trying to make an equal argument of slavery today. Very different. And I want to make sure you get that so you don't get sucked into these arguments. You, these aren't even comparing apples to apples. These are very different scenarios. Here, you have a believing master who is blessing the person working for him, not even trying to treat him like a slave, trying to treat him like a hired worker, like an employee. From this definition, I've been a slave multiple times. If you have a job in the house tonight or online, from that definition, you've been a slave too. Meaning you went to someone and you said, I want to work for you. And the person said, okay, I'll pay you. I'll take care of you. That's the definition. That's how it should work in the kingdom when people work with one another for mutual blessing. And the words are being used very differently. Just keep it in mind. Very differently. The point is that Yeshua elevates the slave, even to the point that slaves receive special assignments, even when they're still in the bonds of slavery. Not that he wants them to stay there. But while they're there, he gives them an assignment. They have great rewards waiting for them if they serve well their masters with respect. And God does not want anyone to remain a slave. He's always moving us toward freedom but he does want us to become a slave of Yeshua. And again, there's the positive connotation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21 says this. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. God's always pushing toward freedom. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord, he is the Lord's freed person. And similarly, the one who was free when he was called in Yeshua became Yeshua's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. There it is. There's no question to God's heart. It's plain as day. But the usages of the words and the cultural context of Israel's slaves is very different from the world around them and even from our modern context. Because why? Because God elevates everyone 
God elevates the slave. The slave in Israel was going to be treated well. He was going to have respect. People were doing him a favor. And he was going to come out of his debt period more wealthy than when he went in. God ultimately wanted him to prosper on his own. But within the context of sin's impact, God could still use the tool to be a blessing to others. God's heart is clear, my friends. Be free, he would say. Be free to love me, walk with me, serve me, follow my example, because my mindset is that of a servant. I think through the filter of a servant first, God would say. We do not enslave people against their will. This violates the scriptures. Because in doing so, we are hindering their God-created destiny. And even if enslavement is helpful for a time for the poor or for those in debt, we release them as soon as possible. Ultimately, we release them with great blessing even because we look out for their welfare. And finally tonight, we do not enslave people because they already belong to God. You can never own another human being. Our final verse, worship team, you can come out. Leviticus 25, 54 and 55. Even if someone is not redeemed in any of these ways, they and their children are to be released in the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites belong to me as my servants. They are my servants who I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. God's heart is what we're going after. The pattern of the scriptures is what we're going after. We want to avoid the danger of using one word out of context, of stripping that word from its contextual meaning and trying to apply it exclusively to today's world. That's an argument that's not going to go very well because it was never intended to go that direction. Our father elevated the least of these, whether they were poor, homeless, sick, outcast, in prison. He elevated women. He elevated children. He elevated slaves. He elevated servants. And we know his heart was to create people free because that's what he gave us, the gift of free will. And the reason no one should ever take a servant or a slave against their will it's because the Bible says they belong to God already. And I just want to end with that note, going back to one of our early verses tonight. Why would someone ever choose to be a slave? Because they've been treated so well by their master that they would say, I love my master. My wife and my children, we do not want to go free. We want to stay as close to my master as we can. And I think that needs to be our heart as believers tonight, even if the world around us doesn't understand yet. They will. They will. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Father, we thank you that you are the perfect master for us. And we don't even shy away from saying that. There's so many other titles we can give you, king, creator, God, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Provider. But tonight we want to focus on the attribute of you being our master. 
a master who is looking out for our welfare, a master who is moving us toward freedom, a master who is giving us great rewards, a master who has given us great purpose in a time where we lost our way. It's certainly not the same language that we use today, but Yeshua, you are a great master. We love you, and we never want to be out of your presence. Thank you for what you've done for us. Would you hear from our heart as we love you and thank you for all the things that you've done for us in our life. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.